Three, two, one, execute. Life is 10% what you make it and 90% how you take it. CEO at Real People USA working with the new system. And uh, the first day went fine. So hello, how are you doing? Good morning, Rick. How are you, man? All doing pretty good. And this is a very uh, uh, casual, <laughs> Real People USA um, conversation. My first episode I had two days ago went fine. And this one, this one was laced with technical issues, but I do have, uh, you're on the backup system. So how you doing this morning, Nick? I'm doing great, Rick. Uh, just calling from uh, beautiful Laguna Hills, California. The sun's, you know, starting to come out up over the Saddleback Mountains and uh, just enjoying another day in Saddleback, California, uh, Southern California. And on the phone with you, ready to talk about the campaign and a host of other issues. Okay. So, so we have another caller. See, now I can't. I think I know who this is. Is this Cherry? Yes, it is. All right, Cherry, where are you from? I am from Bixby, Oklahoma. It's a suburb of the Tulsa area. Correct. And just for for um, disclosure purposes, I've known Cherry for about eight, nine, almost ten years, I believe. Maybe eleven. Actually, yeah, it's been eleven. Yeah, 11 years, and I helped you move from Placerville, California, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, about, what, six months ago? Uh, last uh, May. Oh, it's been that it's long? Yep. Oh, my gosh. Well, I know my, my arm is still, it's, it's, it's got maybe like 1% or 2% worth of that pain I had getting Big Bertha yep. on, on the U-Haul, on, on that, on that, um, that uh what was that thing called that, my uh, my bookcase thing no that big thing we put all the furniture in oh uh the pod yeah the pod that was <laughs> that pod is an amazing thing it fits so much yeah yeah so uh what i'd like to do um cherry so we have mm -hmm. nick on the phone but we have probably some other people coming um, and this is our backup plan because my first uh, phone number and access code, I'm waiting on the system to tell me it's it's live and it never did. So I'll always have a backup plan. So, uh, Cherry, if you don't mind, please talk about some of the things that caused you to leave California, which is your birth date, by the way. Chris. Talk about for about maybe two to three minutes some of the things that caused you to leave California. As, and, and you're a registered nurse, you own the business, uh, you, you have a financial services practice now that you've moved to the Tulsa, Oklahoma area. Please talk about why you decided to leave your home state for Oklahoma. Well, there's actually two reasons. One of them is that um, both of my parents had passed away and my dad was 101, and so I could now leave and move near my sons, of which one lives in Oklahoma and one lives in Texas. Um, the other thing is that I was beginning to see that they were trying to take our rights and our privileges away and treating us like we couldn't think for ourselves. And even though I lived in a very conservative county, there were some people there who were in the Department of Health that were trying to make things miserable for the business owners in that area. I was near Placerville, uh, east of Sacramento. And so to me, it was, it was wonderful to be able to get my place, my dad's place sold, my place sold, and get out of there and move to Oklahoma. I am much freer here. There's no mask mandates or anything, even though there I was a bit of a rebel and I didn't wear them unless I had to go into a government building. Other than that, I didn't wear them and nobody stopped me from going into the stores because I think most of the people there realized that it wasn't working anyway. So when I left, I decided I was taking I was going up over the hill at Tahoe, and I was taking going into Nevada, taking 95 down. I didn't want to take 395 because I was going to spend a lot of time in California. So I took 95 down. <laughs> I got so out you wanted to make sure you were out. 
you didn't want to have anything to do with California, so you took 95. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. So can I ask you another question? Do you, do you believe in the Second Amendment? And please don't laugh. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yes. And, and do you own at least one gun? Yes. <laughs> so do you have any other thing you want to say about um, about these California politicians or even national politicians? Well, I do want to say that uh, what we allowed to have done, and I do want to say that the Republican Party was part of it, was not to give the each one of the counties um, uh, independent recognition in at least the state house of the Senate. And what they did was they changed everything so that it was just the top two vote-getters, and then they decided that since most of the population was down in the L.A. area, not only would they get the, the population, the representatives based upon the population, that they would get the senators based upon the population. So up in Northern California, where there wasn't very much population and it was tended to be much more conservative, um, they took that away. And so we would have one senator for four or five different counties. And that, to me, when when you get a the possibility for a tyrannical state government where everybody is of the same persuasion, then no one else gets their voices heard and nothing is done because technically they realize they can't do anything. So why bother to even pay attention to them? So when that happens, tyranny is the result. And that's exactly what we've seen. And they've tried to pass bills which are just horrific there. And I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. But I still keep up with what's going on in California because you got to pray about that and hope that, you know, pray that maybe the people there are starting to wake up and say, no, we don't want this anymore. We want to get rid of this. But believe it or not, there are people in that state that do not want to take their masks off because they've gotten so used to it. They think that that is what they're supposed to do. They forget to look back three years ago when everybody didn't have to wear masks. And yeah, people got sick, but what did you do? People that got sick stayed home and the rest of them went to work or whatever they did. And this, this is just horrendous what, what's happened to the people. But if you're going to go along with it, then what else are you going to do? Same thing is the federal. You know, it's it's uh, it's we they have no regard for the people, and it doesn't matter what the people want because they feel that they've got these people in certain places in the in the in the military, in the judicial system, and in the very got various governors and things like that that they can deny the people their rights, and the people aren't fighting back and saying no, although it does seem to be that there are more now that are waking up and saying this whole thing is ridiculous but right. and, yeah. and by profession uh what is your i mean when you mentioned the mass mandates what is your profession what have you studied and have you worked in for the last 20 30 years um i've been in nursing and even before that i uh i did well i did geriatric care management for the last part in the beginning i did hospital nursing and the thing is, the masks don't work. They're not going to work. And, and most people say, well, you know, the doctor wears masks. Yeah, you know why the doctor wears a mask when he's in surgery? And most people don't bother to stop to think. Where is the person when they're having surgery? They're laying flat on the table, number one. Number two, where is the doctor? He's standing over top of them. What happens sometimes when you're talking or whatever and you're working? You can talk and, and whatever, you know, um, spittle or whatever could come out of the doctor's mouth and get into the, to, and, you know, get into the wound or whatever. Well, it makes sense for the doctor to wear that. Plus, they pump extra oxygen in those, in those surgery suites so that they can breathe better so that the doctors don't get too hypoxic from it. So that's why they wear masks. Most people don't realize that. 
the masks don't work. Even Dr. Fauci wrote a, wrote a paper, I believe it was in 2008 or 2005, that he said most of the people during the Spanish flu died from pneumonia from wearing a mask all the time. <laughs> so, I mean, the mask can work a little bit, but in reality, they're not going to work that well. You exactly. Know, and, and I told one lady, I said, I don't, I don't like breathing my own exhaust all the time. Mm-hmm. And she's got a strange look on her face. But that technically, that's exactly what you're doing. And your body is not designed to breathe in what you've just breathed out. It's not designed for that. Now, also, you are a pilot, right? Yeah, I haven't flown for a while, though. Yeah, so I told someone as a person who flew on uh, mili- many military aircraft at... 400 to 500 to sometimes uh, 600 miles per hour, the airline, the, or the aircraft ventilation is probably the purest form of oxygen that a person can receive. Would you agree yep. with that? Yes. And yep. can you explain why? Well, they've got a recirculation system and they've got those HEPA filters and they've got all of that in there. Because a long time ago when they didn't have those filters, Yes, people were getting sick, and then they decided, okay, we're going to go in, and we're going to make them better. And they are, they've made them much, much better now, so that, you know, there's not a lot of germs wandering around in there in the air. So, and plus, you know, and, and plus as, a, as a person who, who flew military aircraft, I can tell you this, is that the plane flies between 400 and 600 miles per hour. And I was on a flight to uh, Los Angeles to Barcelona, Spain, about two and a half years ago, and the speed of that plane reached 777 miles per hour as we were dropping in uh, from uh, from Iceland and Greenland into London. And I'll let people know that the the air, the, the airflow <clears throat> that's going through the plane is a proportion of the speed of the plane because that's that's where the help of help a filter gets. Uh, the air to recirculate through the through the cabin. So, in other words, yeah. uh, the plain plain oxygen that people are breathing is recirculating at a speed of between you know, between depending on what type of aircraft you're on between 500, 600, and 700 miles per hour. You can't wow. get no fresher air than that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, Cherry, you know, stay on the line and listen in. I have some topics I want to cover, but next I want to bring on Nick. Taurus. Nick is a congressional candidate running in District 40. He's been a Real People USA podcast guest several times. Nick and I have talked on the phone uh, for hours about his campaign. And Nick, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here, Rick. I'm always always going to stay on the line, man. I just want to thank you for bringing me on again. Rick's done, I think, the Lord's work and kind of uh, helping give a platform to Many of what I call periphery candidates, people like myself and other races all across the country who aren't quite getting a platform or getting a fair shake with their local county GOP, which is absolutely essential if you want to help, you know, secure your nomination and um, eventually move on to, you know, the halls of Congress, which is all of our goals. So uh, very honored to be here again with you, Rick, um, and uh, looking forward to talking about the campaign today. So, Nick, I know recently and uh and and cherry that's on the line and myself we are in the same boat we we think all think the same please tell our listeners about your experiences trying to book events there in orange county and some of the pushback that you receive but also if you can please tell our listeners why it's so important for orange county residents to elect nick so that their lives can be better take it away my friend Thank you, Rick. Well, on the first question, um, the difficulty I've had booking events, I mean, booking events has been terribly difficult because I'm an America First candidate. And when you're an America First candidate speaking out against mass migration, vaccine mandates, and, you know, all the awful racism that's perpetrated by critical race theory, um, you're going to have a target on your back. So what I've had is basically a collected, you know, a pretty committed uh, group of left-wing activists who every time I organize an event, they will call the event, um, leave bad reviews on Yelp, and ultimately pressure them into removing me from the venue. And that's happened to me on several occasions. I've had to spend 
you know, $2,000 of my own money, which is with the F- which is reported with the FEC, in order to book events and host events safely so that the constituents can hear the ideas I have about how to make their lives better and how to, you know, make America great again. Um, on to the second point, Rick, though, about, you know, why it would be best to elect me and how I would make their lives better. Ultimately, um, if you elected Nick Torres, like I mentioned earlier, you're going to get a candidate who's going to speak out against the perils of mass migration. That's the first thing I'm going to do to make people's lives better by advocating for an immigration moratorium. I'm going to protect American jobs, protect America's communities, and make sure that we have a context and quality of life that we enjoy in this country that's um, you know kind of similar to what our grandparents or what our parents and grandparents enjoyed. And the second thing is I'm going to be a real fighter against the vaccine mandates. Um, that's one of the things I've talked about on my website. I've discussed, you know, putting forth legislation in Congress if elected to repeal vaccine mandates across all states, all at the federal level, whatever I can do in all totality within my powers as a congressman to remove uh, the vaccine mandates and the assault on our liberty they represent. And then the final thing I would do is I'd really make a concerted effort if elected to Congress once I, uh, you know, once I'm a member of the GOP and on the Hill there, I really would like to, um, you know, go ahead and really talk about what's going on in our schools because the schools, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte once said, schools are supposed to be laboratories of patriotism. Well, our schools right now are laboratories of degeneracy and they're teaching our children all these strange ideas about gender and sexuality and all these other things and also teaching them to hate their country. So, uh, how I would make the people of Orange County, that uh, the residents of CA40 lives better, and how I'd make the American people's lives better, is they would finally have a champion to speak out against the issues they talk about at their kitchen tables, which I believe um, is, you know, mass migration, the vaccine mandates, and quite frankly, the anti-white racism that's perpetrated by uh, critical race theory. So um, that's kind of my stance on those things, and apologies for rambling if I did. Oh, no, 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 you know, I know you, Nick, so I know how you, I, I know how you can go. Please tell our listening audience about your experiences when you took a um, you took when college you went to Hungary and talk about uh, the people of Hungary and 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 what you learned from that experience that you brought back to the U.S. Yes, well, um, you know, I graduated college magna cum laude with a bachelor's degree in history, and uh, after that, you know, I've always been I, I like traveling. I went to Italy and Greece when I was eighteen, so I wanted to go work overseas or live overseas and not be a vagabond. I wanted to, you know, work and, you know, kind of see what it was like. So I ended up teaching, taking an English teaching position in Hungary. And if you've been, you know, um, kind of following, you know, right wing or national politics for the last five or six years, you know, Hungary has been in the news as kind of a, uh, you know, a safe space, if you will, to use the liberal parlance uh, for people from America and all over the world who are, you know, more right wing, more nationalist and you know, um, have a vision of the world that uh, is better than what is currently being offered by the globalists, I think. And when I was out there, you know, um, I was really just struck by how friendly and warm-hearted the Hungarian people are. If you look at the news, they'll tell you that they're racist, anti-Semites, who are just bent on destruction. Couldn't be further from the truth. These people will just give you the clothes off their back. Uh, they're tremendously caring and kind people. And what I also saw in them, though, was a stoic sense of pride and a fierce sense of patriotism. I mean, these people throughout the year, whenever there's there's multiple national holidays that receive recognition, whenever that's the case, um, you know, people are out and about, you know, uh, wearing, you know, little pins with the Hungarian flag and, you know, the Hungarian flag is present everywhere. It's really like how our country was, honestly, when I was growing up. And um, it really just struck me there, you know, that this country, which has a GDP smaller than the state of the New York, uh, state of New York can manage to control its borders, can manage to protect its children from the um, you know perversions of the LGBT lobby, and also um, what it's done is they're promoting a culture in that country, which is what I call a culture of life. It's a culture that has a future. They're telling you know people to get married, to have children, to build something greater for uh, the Hungarians to come. Whereas in America, I think we have a culture of death where we promote, um, quite frankly, this nihilism that's consuming the youth of this country and everyone in this country. And we're not building anything uh, for the future to leave behind to our progeny. In fact, I think the path we're going on right now is going to make not only our uh, descendants live in an unstable and chaotic time, but possibly uh, delve the world into something that's chaotic and unstable. So that's what I learned about Hungary. That's the differences there. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. Now, Cherry, now, aren't you part Hungarian? No, my dad's family was from Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia area. Okay, that was I was I was one of the border countries. I think. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking. So, so anyway, Nick, my, my next question is, <clears throat> why do you think 
especially there in Orange County, where you would think, see, we, the Orange County used to be the bastion of the Republican Party in California. Why do you think that the Orange County GOP, and this is the kind of show I'm talking about today, we want to talk about disgusted voters and, and also disgusted candidates who are running in these in these these areas where you know Republican used to mean you know America first you know uh, you know taking care of its, its residents and not the people coming across the border it used to mean uh, especially there in Orange County you know you go to school you get a good education you go to college you become productive what has happened there in Orange County that has really uh, Torque your 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 jaws. Well, um, like what has happened? You mean what? Sorry, Rick. What has happened to the party? And yeah, what has happened or, to the party? Yes. Well, um, you know, it's quite simple, really. Uh, one of the things, and I'll say this too, and this, you know, kind of gets people mad when I say it, but I think it's an undeniable truth, and you guys should uh, tell me what you think. But one of the biggest reasons why California, uh, Orange County, has transitioned, and that you've seen the precipitous decline of the Orange County GOP is due to two factors. One, again, I always bring it back to this, is mass migration. And two, is due to a softening of conservative principles and messaging in response to that mass migration in order to court voters who will never vote for you. Um, on mass migration, you know, I've always stated um, that America is a multiracial, multi-ethnic country. It's, that's the facts on the ground. I, I you know, embrace anyone who, who puts America first and loves this country as a fellow patriot. Um, but we have to be honest with ourselves and acknowledge that, you know, um, basically mass migration is giving the Democrat power, the Democrats, the ability to put their fingers on the, uh, their weights on the scales and um, put themselves in power and perpetuity in this country. And just to give you a talking point, I mean, I was looking at uh, censuses from 1990 to 2010, or to 2010, or no, 2020 now, sorry, the most recent census. It was something like in 1990, uh, Orange County was overall 80% white. Now in 2020, it's something like 44% white. And there, that has to be pointed out because in 1990, it was solidly red, a solid Republican county, one of the, you know, the flagship Republican uh, county in the country, to now where it's essentially we're fighting to you know, get seats. And the only people we can nominate, apparently, are these milquetoast moderates who don't believe in America first and vote to confirm Joe Biden's electoral victory like young Kim. So I think um, that's absolutely been a part of the the issue and you know there's many fine people of all walks of life of all creeds and colors and i you know like i said if you put america first i embrace you but we have to be uh, re uh realistic i think about what the prospects of mass migration mean for having a voice for the american people which includes you rick myself and cherry and anyone else who i'm sure is listening because ultimately what they're going to do is they're going to use these voters to push through a one-party government that turns our country into Brazil, where we're you know all living in favelas and enjoy no quality of life and uh, no common civic culture or anything like that. So I think that um, should be pointed out. And the second thing is the softening of conservative principles. The Orange County GOP used to be the flagship uh, county party across the country. There was a guy named Tom Fuentes who led the party, uh, I think for almost, like I know it was a decade plus, could have been closer to 20 years, but um, he led the party, and when he did, the Orange County GOP was solid. I mean, it owned assembly seats, city council seats, all the congressional districts were uh, solidly Republican. But when he started to get closer to the end of his life in the early 2010s, like around 2012, there was a push by people like Scott Baugh, who's running in the 47th uh, district, and Fred Whitaker, who's the current chairman of the OCGOP, to um, water down the OCGOP's message on issues like immigration or electoral integrity or uh, you know family values in an effort to court more donors and make their message more palatable for what they said was a wider swath of people. Well, you know, Fred Whitaker's been in charge of the party since 2015. Scott Baugh was there before him after Tom Fuentes passed away and they basically pulled their coup. Um, and in that time, Orange County has gone progressively blue. And it's got, and the OCGOP, I'd say, has gotten progressively bluer. And what I mean by that is that they've decided to platform and uh, give, uh, you know, preeminence and kind of a, like I mentioned, a platform to, you know, all kinds of people who I'd say aren't conservative. If you're people out there, you know, basically acquiescing to the massive demographic change that's occurred in California through 
quite frankly, illegal migration, most of that, that and you're saying that we need to court these voters and uh, have amnesty, that's not conservative. If you think we need to be having, you know, Caitlyn Jenner coming to central committee meetings and you're barring registered Republicans who vote for your party and who donate to your party make it happen, that's not conservative. And if you think it's, you know, necessary to go out and prostrate yourselves over Ukraine, which the OCGOP has got no problem doing, they have all these events where they're flag waving for Ukraine and, you know, saying we need to do this, that, and the other, and they're totally ignoring what's going on right here in their own county. So that's not conservative either. So um, I'd say really it's those two issues, mass migration, a softening of conservative principles. And now we're living in a county where, you know, it costs $971,000 to own a home, but we have, we're starting to have homelessness like Los Angeles. And um, it's not the same quality of life we enjoy or expect, and it doesn't justify the price we have to pay to live down here. So sorry for that ramble, but that's where we're at. So Cherry, don't you like Nick? Yes, I do. I totally agree. And um, I think it's been uh, the Republican Party for the state. And like you said, for your county, I, I do believe that that's exactly what's going on. Because it seems like when they come out, they're picking people. Even the National Republican Party is picking people that are more um, Democrat in their views. And they're not supporting the true conservative Republicans that we really need. And that was really evident with um, with Trump. They weren't supporting him. And so when I give to part, when I give to someone, I give to the individual. I do not give to the Republican Party in that person's name because I don't know if they're ever going to get it. So are you saying you're tired of getting those? Remember, you told me you used to get these. 10 to 15 emails a day asking for uh, donations from all these <laughs> various uh, parties that were supposed to be Republicans, and you didn't like that. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> I would look down and see where does the, you know, where where do you donate to? And if it was secure win red, I wouldn't do it because it went to the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. If it If it was an individual, I would give to the individual. But I'm not going to give to the Republican Party. Exactly. Now, since you're out of state, it may be safe for you to talk about uh, the California GOP and how, if you want to, let me know if you want to, how Jessica Milan Patterson got into office. Do you want to share that story? Um, I can tell you what I know about it. There was there were some other people that were running. Even the gentleman that was in charge of the Republican Party in El Dorado County, where I lived, uh, a very intelligent young man, um, he was, I said, are you going to run for that? He said, he said, yeah, I'd like to, but they've already decided in the back room who they're going to have run because she's pro-abortion, pro all this kind of stuff. And so she's pro, you, you could put a D behind her name. And that's why she was already chosen it didn't matter if you decided to run for it or not. She'd already been chosen by the parties, that the people that be in there. And so it was not a Republican Party of the people. So that's exactly what happened. And, she, and so, I mean, she kind of like, you know, what we call rhinos, you know, Republican in name only. And so she's done nothing to really help the Republican Party at all. Exactly, and and the guy that was running against her, his name was Travis Allen, and yes, he was from he was. Orange County. He was an insurance broker, and I knew who I knew him just from, you know, myself being insurance back in the day, and I knew who he was. And this guy was like little Donald Trump, and he had crowds at in Fresno. He had crowds in Orange County in, in um, Huntington Beach. I think his office was was in Huntington Beach. He had crowds in Modesto. He had crowds in San Jose. Um, And they took, not only did they cheat, in my opinion, with with John Cox, because they flew John Cox out from Illinois so that Travis Allen could be defeated by John Cox. And then John Cox could lay down for for Gavin Newsom because John Cox didn't really want to be governor. Come on. He didn't want to be governor. He just got the money. And so yeah. when Travis Allen was running for the California GOP, you know, just like you mentioned, he got 
he got just pencil whipped, you know, off the uh, off the uh, from consideration, which was a uh, yeah. which was a shame. So, the California GOP, in my opinion, is not for us. And um, you know, I know Nick, you may or may not be able to talk about the California GOP because you're you're actively running for office. But if there's anything oh, well, you want to share, I'll speak on that. They, they hate me. Uh, they find you know, so. Nick. How did I know that you wanted to speak on that? Well, you know, hey, Rick, you, you, we're my, you've known me a long time. But, yeah, no, um, it's actually really sad because um, I'm reading a book right now just to kind of tie it in with the GOP. It's called A Country of Vast Designs. It's about James K. Polk and the Mexican-American War by a historian named Robert W. Mary. But the sad thing is, is that um, the role of the Republican Party in the state of California going back to its founding when we wrested it from Mexico has always been critical. I mean, the guy who, you know, helped map the state of California and bring it into the union, John C. Fremont, was a re- our first senator from the state of California, a Republican, and he ends up being the first Republican presidential candidate. We've had Richard Nixon, who was a Republican, the only native Californian to reach the White House. We've had, you know, plenty of, we have a great Republican legacy in this state, and the California GOP has, t- has decided to totally distance itself from that, and it's really become... Like I said, it's basically just become Democrat life. Like I was, at, I did a meeting, a Zoom meeting with uh, several people. I think it was back in uh, late February, early March, and it was uh, regarding you know the endorsement of Young Kim by the CA GOP. So myself and Greg Rath, who I'm running against, were able to go on the Zoom call and kind of give our case as to why she shouldn't be endorsed before they ultimately would endorse her. I mean, it's just a parliamentary procedure. They weren't going to listen to us anyways. But uh, we were up there and. In the lead up to it, the whole thing, the whole presentation they were giving, like talking about what the party's doing, it had nothing to do with, um, you know, outreach to actual conservative voters or, you know, making the party more uh, malleable to our whims and wishes. It was literally discussions on how we can do outreach to like gay voters and Hispanic voters and things of that nature. And I just think it really just misses the mark because it's all part of this, what I call uh, pandering, not policy. Uh, approach that the OCGOP is taking when I want to go policy not pandering because I think things are getting so serious in our country that uh, we can't just keep and especially here in California I mean California is totally transformed from being you know the jewel of uh, our continental empire to being a joke and uh, it's really sad and as someone who's a Californian uh, my family's been here for generations and uh, hearing Cherry tell her story about how she had to leave from northern California moved to Oklahoma honestly breaks my heart because um, I love this state with every fiber of my being, and I love the Republican Party, and it really makes me sad um, that we have such awful leadership, because California deserves much better. On our worst day right now, I really believe this, on our worst day, you know, despite all the economic mishaps, all the people crapping on the streets in Los Angeles and San Francisco, we still have the potential to be so much better than Texas and Florida. We just need the leadership, and I wish the California GOP was there to provide it, but they're unfortunately uh, the, wa- uh, the, the Washington generals of American politics. They're just there to, you know, get uh, confetti and water thrown on them and uh, look pathetic. So it's, it's unfortunate. Yes, yes. And Nick, uh, do you have any closing comment? Um, and uh, if you can, provide your website and so people can know who you where, where to find you. Yeah, um, you know, all I want to say is first off again, Rick, uh, you're really doing a great job. Um, I really appreciate the platform you provided. Um, me because, you know, not a lot of people around here in my own party provide me a platform, you know this, and I've been having to go around and kind of fight this insurgency campaign, so I'm very grateful. Uh, <laughs> what do you call it, an insurgency campaign? <laughs> an insurgency campaign, yes. We, we you know, we are, I, I, I joke around about this, but we are kind of like the, you know, gorillas in the hills, and if you step up, the rhino hunters might come down, so just watch out. But, um, you know, on, in all reality, though, I really appreciate it, and I think you're doing a, a great job, and I'm very honored to have uh, met you, and to, or not met you yet in person, but to uh, become your acquaintance, and I think you're a really good guy, and I just really, uh, beyond words, uh, very grateful for the platform you've provided to me. And um, if anyone does want to help uh, help my website, please go to www.votenickca40.com or follow me on Instagram at, at nick.torres40. Um, we're making a real final push to make some noise um, over here in TA40. Um, you know, if I'm being honest, you know, uh, we have a bit of a, a tall task against us, and uh, there's a lot arrayed against us, but I've told myself that I'm going to run and uh, provide an authentic American first vision for the voters of CA40 who, are, who haven't received that yet. So um, no matter what occurs, I'm on the ballot. That's a big uh, accomplishment in itself. 
And, um, you know, we're going to fight like hell to make sure that hopefully we win this thing. So if you want to help in that push to uh, help us, you know, take back CA40 and make America great again, put America first, please go to www.votenickca40.com. Follow my Instagram at, at nick.forest40. And also follow uh, a great friend of mine, a good man, Rick Napier, at Unaltered Mail. Great guy. Um, and, you know, everyone have a great day. And thanks again, Rick, for having me on. I'm, I'm honored to be on work. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. And uh, <clears throat> not sure if Nick is still on, but I want to tell you something about Nick. Nick is one of the truest fighters of California. And I believe his his greatest his, his largest constituency are the small business owners of Orange County and the, and the parents with kids and uh, all the people who are trying to who are working to be productive and to make it happen and that includes uh, a lot of the uh, people who um, I think 35% of Hispanics voted Republican not because they just like the R they voted Republican because they they, they like the opportunity I know up in Northern California here, many of my colleagues are, are hardcore uh, re Republicans uh, here in the Sacramento area. And I used to live in San Francisco. And I'll tell you that there's a lot of, of people who came to America legally, who came to America to to have that, that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness that was uh, that our founding fathers fought for and that they, they signed uh, not just with ink on paper, but they signed with blood, you know, during the the fight with the with the British. So, so Cherry, do you want to add any any comments, and then I'm gonna roll on. You can stay on to listen, but I want to give you a, a chance to say anything that you want to say because I got uh, three other topics I want to cover in the next 25 minutes. Okay. Well, I just would like to say that I really appreciate hearing Nick talk, and that. You know, there are other people like that who are, they're not just rolling over. They're getting up and they're fighting because they know that the principles and stuff that they're standing for are is what is going to turn our nation and California around. And it's going to make it once again the jewel of the nation. And that's what they need to do because California has great, great things. To it or it would never have been they hold, wrote a whole song about it you mm -hmm. know and so that's what we need we need people who are willing to fight and I do applaud him for doing that and so that's that's just what I'd like to say for right now all right and just to let people know that um, a lot of times these uh, candidates they they go to these events I call them echo chambers because they're enclosed by just other GOP, you know, lightweights or heavyweights, but they're not the regular people on the streets. So uh, I want to say to Nick, I'm not, I, I know he's probably gone, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna send this, send this recording to him, is not to be concerned with the people on the inside, because it's not the people on the inside that's going to determine if he wins or not. It's the people on the streets. It's the, it's the, it's the woman that owns a law firm. It's the guy that owns a CPA practice. It's the, uh, the guy that has a, a restaurant. You know, it's, it's the child care center. They're, you know, those people that own those independent child care centers. Those are the people who make the, make the decision to vote. And I believe these, uh, these groups like the California GOP, the OC GOP, they surround themselves with, with yes people. Oh yes, we should do this. Yes, this is the right decision. Yes, you're correct. Jessica Milan Patterson, you're correct. And the candidates forget that for every one uh, Fred Whitaker in Orange County, there are like 10,000 people that don't even know who Fred Whitaker is. <laughs> they don't even know who Jessica Milan Patterson is. If I wasn't somewhat an insider, uh, knowing who these people are, I would not know who Jessica Milan Patterson is. And if I went to the average person on the street and I said, do you know who Jessica Milan Patterson is? They would say no. So so my 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 recommendation to California candidates is not is not to you know be in these echo chambers where you know it feels like you're being beat up by these uh, people. I call them um, dopers, Democrat operatives posing as Republicans. 
that's that's what I call them, dopers. Get outside <laughs> of these little GOP committee rooms and OC GOP little meetings and go out and meet the average person on the street. And the average person on the street here in California will tell you that they want many things changed. They want things the way they were maybe 10, 20 years ago. And it's only a matter of, of finding the right candidate who can voice those concerns and, and get elected. And I believe people like Nick and there's others. I believe people like, um, uh, let's see. Well, I don't have, I don't have uh, approval to mention their name, but people like Nick would go out and connect with the regular people. That's Nick's key to victory or to have a, a better, very competitive showing uh, during the primary. So the, the, the next subject I want to talk about is this election cheating stuff, this election official cheating. It's happening down in, in South Florida. It's definitely happening, happening here in California. And what I want to say to, to mitigate this election official cheating, I've, I've always talked about the Pledge Voter Database. And the Pledge Voter Database is the key to pushing back on this cheating. And I'll, I'll just, I will just describe what happens. What happens, and let me, uh, I, got, I get so excited listening to Nick, because Nick is like, yeah, I wish every candidate would speak like Nick, but they don't. Um, many are just asking for money. So what happens when, when people, when candidates run and then people vote for the candidate, the candidate has no idea how many votes they received until the election officials tell them how many votes they received. So just think about that for a second. You're running, you're running, and you know you, you think you're doing good, and that's the first mistake. Here in California and places like Miami-Dade, maybe in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you can feel like you're winning, or maybe you can you kind of know you're winning by the support you're getting. But in places like California, Miami-Dade, New York City, Wisconsin, Atlanta, you can't feel like you're winning. You must know that you're, you're winning by numbers. See, numbers don't lie. So I'm telling the candidates, you know, when you connect with people, make sure you get, make sure you get, your, you get their name, email address, phone number, zip code, and put them in a database. So, like I said, when the election is over and the election officials say, you know, Rick, you only got 173,000 votes. But in your database, the database that you've been maintaining for six months to a year, and you have a database of 350 supporters, that thousand supporters, you can go back to the election officials and say, I want to file a, a, a complaint. Or I want to, you know, I want to, I want to challenge the number that you told me. I think I have more than 173,000 votes. See, what people need to understand, and candidates and voters need to understand, is that when votes happen, there's like a, a second, uh, 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 they call them an election clerk, and then there's like staff that gets all these votes. And I'm just speculating here, but. I would say that it's just a matter of taking a pen or pencil or a pen and, and writing on a sheet of paper that Rick did not get 350,000 votes. Because I, I would imagine a crooked election official would say, wow, look at the votes that Rick got. He got 350,000 votes. And the person that runs that election office will say, no, 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 we want the Democrat to win. Take this pen. Right on this piece of paper, 173,000 votes. Rick lost the election. So many candidates do not know how many votes they have received. And if you don't have a pledge voter database, you have no ammunition to go back to the uh, election officials and say, I want to challenge that 173,000 number. I have in my database 350,000 people who have uh, signed up on my website, maybe you have more than 173,000 people who have donated, you know, $5 or $10. Um, you have regular correspondence with these 350,000 people. 
And so I would go to that election official in court and say, show me how many people you say voted for me. And I'll give you the records or the e names, phone numbers, and email addresses of the people who said they voted for me. And let's check. Let's see if you have the 350,000 people or maybe even more. Because you got to think about this. If you have 350,000 people in your database who uh, pledged to vote for you, there's probably even more people that you didn't collect in your database. So you have to make these people uh, uh, accountable to the election. And the only way you can do that is to have some type of database of people who have pledged to vote for you. Now, here's, the, here's another little thing I need to tell you. I think every candidate needs to start saying that they have a pledged voter database. Even if they have a little <laughs> pledged voter database with only 10% of the registered voters or even 5% of the registered voters, every candidate needs to say publicly that they have a database. And I believe even just that alone will cause many uh, election officials to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Do we want to report false numbers on these Republican candidates? Because Joe just said he has a pledge to voter database of people who have supported him. So that's, um, that's what I'm telling people to do, and it's not too late to do that. You can start right now. Um, one of the, the uh, uh, things that a lot of uh, candidates have done, and this has been their mistake, unfortunately, is that when they meet with people out in public, they have these uh, public town halls, they have these meeting greets, they have these meetings at the parks, they have these get-togethers and, and, and banquet centers and, you know, Denny's, uh, uh, they have uh, these banquet rooms at Denny's and some of these other restaurants. They do not collect names, numbers, and emails and other pertinent data to add to their database. I know a candidate in Florida was meeting with a lot of people. So what the candidate would do is meet with like 200 people and people would be cheering. I'm going to use a, a fake name here. Go Doug, go Doug, go Doug. So the rally is over. The candidate is pumped up because 200 people showed up, but guess what? They did not collect one name, email address, phone number of the people who attended. And this candidate did these rallies at least 10 times. That's probably 1,000 to 2,000 people. And with 2,000 people showing up to your rally over, over 10 rallies that you have done, those 2,000 people know five or 10 people each. So 2,000 times five is 10,000. 2,000 times 10 is 20,000. And those 20,000 know five people each. And you keep building that, the, that database based on people having like-mindedness in terms of your candidacy. And that's unfortunately what a lot of candidates did not do. They did not um, see Oh, these people, they're people who attended my uh, my rally. And so what they what they did, they got caught up in, oh, wow, 200 people showed up and they left. The, <laughs> they left the building, so to speak, without the names. So, Cherry, do you have any comments on that if you're still there? Yes, I'm still here. I that's exactly right. If you don't have people committed, then. You know, because you can send out emails to people, and but as long as you don't overwhelm them with 40 or 50 a day, everything is fine, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is what I, finally, I just turned them all off. Um, so, but yeah, you need to, you need to get your people committed. And if the people go to a rally and you can get them and they're happy about it, usually they're going to be happy to get to be committed. Even if they say, well, I can't give you any money or I can only give you five or ten dollars or whatever. Well, you get several thousand people giving you five or ten dollars. It all adds up. Yes. So uh, you need to know who's behind you. E so. Exactly. And uh, you just mentioned something that um, that guy just it just escaped. Oh, oh, I know what I was going to say. 
a lot of candidates, Cherry, believe that fundraising is the number one goal. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not fundraising. I have a term, and maybe I'm the first person to use this term. It's called vote raising. How do you like that one? <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because 100,000 votes is far more uh, more important and productive than $100,000. You know, right. unless, and unless you're a grifter. Yeah. Well, you've got to... You've got to meet the people. If you can get a chance to, you know, talk with the people, listen to their concerns, give them a reasonable expectation of what your plan is. Doesn't mean you have to give the total plan, but what your plan is and how you how you're going to kind of go about doing that. Then the people are going to say, "Well, that sounds like something I want. I, I think I want to vote for this person because that's what their plan is." And that's how I vote now. I Years ago, because I've been a voter for a long time, I used to not be involved. I just kind of read, you know, what they, little, what they said in their bio with the information that we got. And then I would um, let that, I would decide who I wanted to vote for from there. But now I don't do that anymore. I don't care what they've got behind their name. I look at the things that they stand for. I look at their voting records. I look at how they, you know, what they've uh, accomplished in their lives. I've looked at where they've stood on issues and how long they've been standing on different issues. And so that's, um, you know, what their approach is. It's just like there was one gentleman running for state senator in California and he was a Republican and he was running against another Republican. Well, his whole thing was, I know how to reach across the aisle. We don't need any more reaching across the aisle. No, they don't no, no. Know. You know, no, I'm the, no, we don't need that. Go ahead. But because the fire, fire department and some other union uh, backed him, he ended up getting winning the thing. And now I'm getting emails from him saying about how he doesn't like this and he voted against that. And, well, I don't care how he voted. You know, I mean, it's not... Uh, he said he voted these ways. Well, you know, it, it, it's meaningless because I don't, I don't trust him. Exactly, exactly. So you brought, you brought up a, a subject I'm going to close with. I got uh, two people that I want to talk about for about maybe a minute or two. Then I'm going to close... But first, I'm going to talk about what you just said. See, a lot of these, um, what I'm starting to see, and a lot of people across the country are starting to see, Cherry, is some of these candidates are running so that they can get that public pension. Exactly. That's why they're running. They're running so that they can get, they can work four years, eight years, or combine uh, some time in this public service office with this public service office, and they will say anything to get elected because once they're elected they can close out the remaining time to get that public pension and that's what i'm starting to see and that's a shame if if you are a public servant now i'm, I'm not against i'm not against people getting pensions so i want to i don't want to um, you know sound that note but if you are not able to represent the people in your district in your local area and you have to lie so you can get elected to get that public pension, that is so bad. That is, that is being, <laughs> that is, I mean, there's, there's words that I can't even mention on this episode that, that how I feel uh, about that. That is, that is bad. But that's what a lot of uh, politicians are doing. But the American people are waking up. And one in particular that I recently met, actually about nine months ago, I met uh, Heather Vernillo. She is a nurse practitioner running against Dave Eggers in St. Peter, uh, not St. Petersburg, but Pinellas County, uh, Florida. It's, uh, it's the county next to Hillsborough County, uh, which is where Tampa is. And by the way, Pinellas County is the birthplace of Governor Ron DeSantis. He's from the Tampa Bay, St. Pete, Clearwater area. So Heather Vernillo is a nurse practitioner. She owns a um, medical provider business. She is running against Dave Eggers, who is a career politician who claims he wants 
only two terms in office, but he's running for the third term. I mean, if he is really sincere about running two terms, he would quit and yeah. just say, I've done my two terms, you know, next. See, 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 the public now is starting to say, okay, so you've been, and I think in Dave Egger's case, he's been, he's been city council. I believe he was the mayor. So he's stacking up these public, this time in public office. And now he wants, then he's done eight years as a county commissioner and Cherry, the county commissioner, well, they have seven county commissioners in, in, in Florida, in, in Pinellas County. And that's like our county supervisor here in California. They're called commissioners <laughs> there. So there, there are seven of them. And he has been the county commissioner in, in, a, in a certain district for, for eight years. And he's claiming he's for term limits, but he's running for the third term. So I think that's disingenuous to say that you're, yeah. you're for <laughs> term limits and you're running for a third term. But Heather said something uh, three months ago that just caught my attention. Heather uh, is a is a patriot, and she said she took her life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness for granted, and uh, it everything opened her eyes when the COVID mandate started in Florida of all places. And this guy, Dave Eggers, he voted, he's one of seven people who voted to shut down Pinellas County. When a Republican votes to shut down businesses, that's bad. Very bad. I mean, no Republican should ever vote to shut down the small business owner. And but this yeah. guy did it and, and and Heather is running and she's uh, real close to getting uh, ballot petitions or she may have to pay to be on the ballot but she is running and what this um, what has happened in Florida these these uh, online political websites these uh, these I think it's floridapolitics.com they wrote an article recently and said Dave has seventy thousand dollars and uh, and and Heather and another candidate they do not have seventy thousand dollars so it was almost like Heather and the, and the other candidate, you need to know that Dave has seventy thousand dollars. So you right. either need to quit, or or you need to do something. But Dave has seventy. It was like an intimidation factor, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So the other candidate I wanted to recognize, uh, he was going to call in, but he probably got busy down in South Florida. Is Reuben Young? Reuben is running at least for now, against Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And she's been in office, I think, since 2003, 2004. And I think Florida has a two-term maximum where people can stay in office. So she's been in there for 18 years. And that's, uh, I think, Congress is uh, two terms, or two years per term. So she's been in there for like eight to nine terms. And she could have, like, stopped being a, a, a Democrat Congresswoman, and then uh, run to to go back in, but she stayed in continuously. And uh, Ruben is, uh, you know, started. She's he's raising questions about that. But the most important thing I want to tell people about Ruben is that he got on the ballot by petition only, because he didn't have twelve thousand six hundred dollars to pay uh, to be on the ballot. So he went out and talked to probably, I want to say, probably twelve to fifteen thousand people to get enough signatures, which was 2583, to be on the ballot. So he's been one of the first candidates in a long time that actually talked to a lot of people to get on the ballot. And he's running wow. against Debbie. Yes, that's, a, that's awesome, isn't it? Yes. You know, and he's there in Miami-Dade Broward, and that's not really a, that's one of those election offices that, uh, that's not really friendly to Republicans. Even though the state of Florida is a is a red state and a in a state that has increasingly become red since many people are moving there from New York and and uh, just to escape, I, I'm not sure if you ever remember that movie. Cherry is called Escape from New York. <laughs> I've, I've heard of it. Yes. It had uh, some guy I can't think of his his name, but he's a famous actor. But so there's a movie called Escape from New York that came out in the 70s and 80s. And um, so it's a, it's a reality now. You 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 literally have to escape from New York and escape from California. <laughs> Sad. So, 
Yeah. So I just want to close out. I, ha- I did have two more topics, but what I'm going to do is save those topics uh, until next time. And one of them is capitalism requires thinking and people need an equity stake in America. And those, gonna, those will be some very um, hot topics because I believe um, where we are right now in this country is because more people, uh, more people, I mean, I'll put it this way, less people have small businesses today than had 10, 10 to 20 years ago. Um, if, if more people had small businesses today, there, it would be a, a great probability we would not have to deal with this because you had a lot of people who are working and you know, firefighters, nursing, nurses, cops, regular nine to five people who had to take the shot because they feared losing their jobs. Yeah. And if more people had businesses, uh, there would have been a, there would have been less of a coercive uh, component to force people to take this shot. So anyway, Cherry, I want to thank you for being on the Real People, the live Real People show. And I want to thank Nick Torres uh, for being a, a guest. And again, if you're listening to the show and if you are a disgusted voter, please call in from anywhere in the country. And if you are a candidate and if you want to talk about your race, uh, you got five minutes, maybe a little bit more to talk about your campaign and uh, what you need and, and what you stand for. So anyway, I want to thank you for listening to the Live Real People USA uh, show. My website is rpusa.org. My phone number is 726-999-0999. And if you want to reach me by email, my email address is rpusa at protonmail.com. Thanks a lot. Have a great Saturday. Take care. Bye-bye.